I want to start the message in this way. If you've ever went to a jewelry store and a jeweler wants to display their diamonds, they always get out the blackest cloth that they can and set those beautiful diamonds against that black backdrop to make them pop even more. Well, that's what's happening here in this chapter. You've got a lot of darkness being created by the bad behavior of all the human beings who are involved in this chapter. It's honestly one of the most depressing chapters from a human point of view. But against all of that bad behavior shines God. God is just so glorious, and his grace is so abounding, as we've sung about tonight, because he again is showing himself true and faithful and all of that, even in the midst of all of this really bad behavior. One of the prominent things that we're going to talk about, in fact, again, it's the most used word you will see in this entire chapter, is the word blessing. Everything in this chapter centers around this blessing, right? What is the blessing? The blessing is different than the birthright. In fact, I want to draw your attention a little bit ahead of time over to verse 36 that we'll come back to much later in the message where Esau differentiates between the birthright and the blessing, saying, Jacob has now taken away not only my birthright, he's also taken away my blessing. So I want to start by explaining a little bit what he's referring to here. The birthright always went to the firstborn. And it involved more of a familial emphasis. It was the one who would be the head of the household at some point. The one who would be the leader, the spiritual leader. And the one that would inherit two-thirds or the predominant amount of the inheritance when the parents passed away. So it was more of a familial position. The blessing was not something that just one child could experience. The parent could actually bless all of their children if they were so led by God. But the blessing was, instead of primarily a familial position, it was a spiritual proclamation. It was, it was when godly parents, because that's what needed to be, were recognizing, acknowledging, and tracing the moving of God upon maybe one or several of their children. In a sense, it was their acknowledgement that this was the way God was 
going to go, or this was whom God wanted to work through. And God had already told Isaac and Rebekah. In this case, though Esau came out first, the elder Esau is going to serve the younger Jacob, that Jacob is going to be the one through whom all the promises and the prophecies that he had given to Abraham will go through. It's going to go through Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And one of the things we're going to see here tonight, very evidently, is not that God chose Jacob because Jacob was this great guy. Again, the undeserved favor of God. But just as we've just worshipped and sung about, what we can even stand in awe about and be amazed about is that God was true to his word in spite of what these people were doing. And the other main point that I want to set before us tonight that we're going to see in this chapter is that in spite of all that man does to try to prevent God's plan and purpose, they can never thwart the plan and purpose of God. In the end, God's sovereignty will always prevail. And I want you to apply that even to your own life and even to the world today and all of that. It doesn't matter in the end what man does. God's plan and God's purpose will always prevail in the end. So let's take a look at this interesting chapter tonight. And I say depressing only because it's just like, wow. You know, they're making a lot of bad decisions, but you know what? There are times where we make a lot of bad decisions too. And God is still faithful. And God is still there. And God's promises to us are not conditional upon our behavior and the same thing is true here. It's something that we can take great encouragement in. So God is that diamond that is very clearly shining against this black backdrop of human behavior that we have before us in Genesis 27. So notice, chapter 27, verse 1, when Isaac was old... And his eyes were so weak that he was almost blind. He called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau replied. Isaac said, Since I am so old, I could die at any time. Therefore, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out into the open fields and hunt down some wild game for me. Then prepare for me some tasty food, the kind I love, and bring it to me. Then I will eat it so that I may bless you before I die. Now, we know from previous study that Jacob loved Esau. He was his favorite. Rebekah loved Jacob. And so there was already this dysfunction, if you will, within this family. But the big thing here is that Isaac isn't resting in the will of God 
he's resisting the will of God. In spite of what God said, Isaac is choosing to disregard what God has said to him and Rebekah as the parents, and he's going to bless Esau instead of Isaac. And think about again how sad that is, because there was a day when Isaac was a much younger man, and his faith was so strong that he was willing to follow his father, Abraham, up that mountain and let his father place him on that altar and let his father raise that knife to sacrifice him. That was how strong he was at one point in submitting and surrendering to the will of God and trusting God and following him. And now in his old age, he's resisting the will of God. Again, it shows us that we can never stop growing and progressing because if we're not moving forward spiritually, we're going to go backwards spiritually. And that's exactly what happened to Isaac over the years. Instead of going forward with God from Mount Moriah, he started to go backwards. And now here at the end, when you think you're getting ready to die, man, what are you passing on to your children? What are you teaching them by blessing Esau, which is in direct violation to the word of God? What are you saying to your children? What kind of example are you being? What legacy are you passing on? Though his physical faculties were clearly failing, it says that in verse 1, he was also not assessing what was going on around him in a spiritual way. And that's something that you and I can carry with us up to the very last breath of our body. We may not have throughout our life all of our physical faculties running at high level, but we can always have our spiritual faculties running at a high level with God. He was disregarding his spiritual insight and the spiritual wisdom and even the ability to pray and ask God for wisdom here and even to say, God, I'm struggling with this, but just like Jesus did, not my will but yours be done. I'll bless Jacob instead because that's what you want, God. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And, and you see here then, laid out for us in these first four verses, this striving and struggling for the blessing. And that's so sad because, first of all, you and I can't strive or struggle for the blessing. The blessing is God himself. And the blessing is always given to us, whatever that blessing is, within God and out of his grace. It's not deserved. So to strive or struggle for it is totally useless. If Isaac would have chosen to rest in God and rest in the will of God, he would have been blessed. He would have blessed who God wanted blessed, and all would have been well. But it set in motion this tragedy within this family. Notice he says in verse 4, so that I, my soul, literally in the Hebrew, in other words, he's putting his all into it, his passion, his heart, is in blessing his son Esau. 
It's not like he's getting to this point and there's any kind of hesitancy or reluctancy to doing this. He is full steam ahead, even though he knows God has clearly told him the elder will serve the younger. And Isaac is saying, no, God, no. I want it the other way. I want Esau to be the one that you work through. I want Esau to be the one whom all those prophecies are fulfilled through, not Jacob, because he's my favorite. And he's allowing even the love and affection that he has for his son to cloud his spiritual faculties. You and I have to be careful of that, that we don't allow the relationships that we have and even how we feel about others to cloud what God clearly wants us to do. And that clearly wasn't the case with Isaac here. Then notice what that sets in motion, verse 5, is the deceitful maneuvering for the blessing that comes then from the other side of the family, Rebekah and Jacob. Rebekah had been listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau went out to the open fields to hunt down some wild game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I've overheard your father tell your brother Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare for me some tasty food. Then I will eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now then, my son, do exactly what I tell you. Go to the flock, get me two of the best young goats. I'll prepare them in the tasty way for your father, just the way he loves them. Then you will take it to your father. Thus he will eat it and bless you before he dies. Now, we could say, hey, Rebecca's only doing what God wants, right? This is the one through whom God wants to work. So what's wrong here? Well, what's wrong is she takes matters into her own hand. Instead of God-reliant, we just sung, Lord, I need you, it's, I can fix this. That's her response. I got a solution. I can fix this. But she never reacts or acts out of faith. She never turns to the Lord and said, okay, Lord, here's the situation. Isaac is clearly going against what you said. What should I, as the wife here, how should I handle this? What should, there's no, it's her plan. And for you fixers out there, beware. Make sure that if you're trying to fix something, that you're doing it under the direction and leadership and guidance of God, that it's not your own plan that you're cooking up. And can I say here for just a second, here's one of the tragedies of, of this family. Do you realize already, you don't even have to get into this story very far at all to go, no one in this family trusts each other. You notice that? No one trusts each other in this family. That's not a good place to be. Now, obviously, we all have people in our lives that we trust more than others. That, that's true. But man, to live in such close quarters and always sort of like, I got to look out for myself because I don't really, I, don't, I can't put my 
you know, trust in this other person, so they're always sort of maneuvering and manipulating each other. That's the history of this family. Yes, the one that God is going to work through. So again, we see the abounding grace of God. We see the diamond of God against the backdrop of this bad behavior here. Because Isaac is clearly going against the will of God. Rebecca now is taking matters into her own hands. In fact, notice in verse 6, she says, I overheard what your father said, so she's moved by what she heard. We've talked a lot about that even through our study of Joshua and Psalms. Moved by what she heard. I heard Isaac want to bless Esau, so now I'm moved to action. So then notice in verse 8 what she tells her son Jacob to do. Follow my voice. Do exactly what I tell you to do. Now, I'm not saying that children should not obey their parents. That's clearly biblical. But as parents, we better be teaching our children, first of all, follow God's voice first, not my voice first. In fact, that's true for all of us. No matter what our relationships are with each other, Friends, family, it doesn't matter. We should always be encouraging others to follow God's voice before we follow others' voice, including our own voice. Clearly, she's not doing that. By the way, Jacob's not like there uh, without a lot of fault in all of this, too. Because notice in verse 11, his objection has nothing to do with the ethics of it. It has everything to do with the logistics of it. He doesn't say to his mom, Mom, that's wrong. No. He says, hey, my brother's hairy, and I have smooth skin, and my father may touch me, and then he'll think I'm mocking him or deceiving or mistreating him. Well, yeah, you are. And then that'll bring a curse on myself instead of a blessing. So Rebecca says to him, oh, any curse against you will fall on me, my son. You just move to my voice. Go and get them for me. So he went and got the goats, brought them to his mother. She prepared. She took her older son's Esau's best clothes, which were in the house, put them on her younger son Jacob, put the skins of the young goats. I mean, this is an elaborate deception, right? She hands him the tasty food and the bread that she made for Jacob, and he went to his father, verse 18, and said, My father, Isaac replied, Here I am. Which are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat some of my wild game so that you can bless me. Isaac asked this, his son, How in the world did you find it so quickly, my son? And notice what Jacob's reply is. Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Notice something. He doesn't say the Lord my God or our God. He says the Lord your God. Why? Because disobedience brings distance. Not that God ever leaves us and distances himself, but when you and I begin to go down a bad path, it distances us in our feeling from God. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you, my son, and know for certain if you are really my son Esau. Notice, Isaac is suspicious, 
but he's ultimately deceived. So Jacob went over to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So Isaac blessed Jacob. Then he asked, are you really my son Esau? He, he still got that in the back of his mind, like, ah, oh, there's something wrong here. Which can I say, you and I get that. Don't discount whenever that radar is going up. We should pay attention to that inner radar that God gives to us. Isaac said, bring some of the wild game for me to eat, my son, then I will bless you, verse 25. So Jacob brought it to him, he ate it, he also brought him wine, and Isaac drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the scent of his clothing, he blessed him. Listen, what we are seeing now is the triumph of God. God's will is fulfilled in spite of man's will. So often we think that God's will can't be fulfilled unless we help God out. That's sort of what Rebecca and Isaac were at. Like, God, I need, I need to help you here. No, that will never go well for us as human beings when we try to help God fulfill his will. Now, if God wants us to be part of that, God will make sure that we know it and understand it. But there's many times where God's like, you're only trying to mess things up. But again, what we're seeing is God ultimately prevails. It doesn't matter how much man tries to do, God's plan and God's purpose is ultimately going to prevail. Notice the blessing that Isaac gives. And this begins to show us the way of blessing, not only for these folks, but even in our own lives. Yes, my son smells like the scent of an open field, verse 27, which the Lord has blessed. And then don't miss these next four words at the beginning of verse 28. May God give you. The key word in this whole blessing is God because God is the only source of true and lasting blessing. And notice the word give. It is always undeserved. It is always out of his grace. God is the ultimate blessing and any blessing that flows from God is going to be something that you and I do not deserve that comes to us from his grace. Therefore, you and I, unlike them, we don't have to spend our lives trying to strive and struggle to be blessed by God. If we simply understand and acknowledge that the greatest blessing you and I could ever have and enjoy and experience is God himself, and we abide in him, which is what Jesus said in John 15, abide in me, you see. Everything then flows from us remaining or abiding in God. When we live our lives immersed in God, then God becomes the greatest blessing, and then all the other blessings that God wants to bestow on us come from that relationship that we have with God, and every last one of them are gifts. They cannot be earned. They cannot be pursued. They cannot be strived for. They cannot be struggled for. 
They are gifts that we by faith receive, and then that motivates us to worship God and express our gratitude and thanks for him being the ultimate blessing, and then for all these other blessings that he gives us that we do not deserve. May God give you. And then Isaac goes on to say, the dew of the sky, the richness of the earth, the plenty of grain and new wine. May people serve you. Nations bow down to you. You will be Lord over your brothers and the sons of your mother will bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. It's very similar to the blessing of Abraham. And then notice verse 30. Isaac had just finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence when his brother Esau returned from the hunt. Can I say something here? Did Rebekah and Jacob not think that at some point their deception would be found out? Did they not think that Esau wouldn't come back at some point and all of this? Again, it shows that when you get that tunnel vision of like, I got to fix this and, and, and we've got to do something and you go down that road, it sort of blinds you to even very obvious things like, well, if we do that, What's going to happen when Esau comes back from the field and gives Isaac this meal? So he also prepared some tasty food, verse 31, and brought it to his father. Esau said to him, my father, get up and eat some of your son's wild game. Then you can bless me. And don't miss what Isaac's response is to his son. This is powerful. His father asked, who are you? you who that is a disappointing climax to this whole ruse who are you i already blessed you so who are you wow i'm your firstborn son esau and notice what isaac then's response is he literally begins to shake violently why is there this physiological response of Isaac? Because Isaac knows God's one. God's one. As much as I tried to circumvent the plan and purpose of God, as much as I tried to do an end run, as much as I tried to resist the will of God, God has won. Then who else hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it just before you arrived, and I blessed him. And notice, Isaac basically has this resignation. He will indeed be blessed. Isaac's words are an illustration of the futility of resisting the plan and purpose of God. I hope that encourages all of us. It doesn't matter in the end, what man does, man can never thwart God's plan and purpose. So we as Christians shouldn't be looking around in our country and in the world and fretting over, oh my goodness, these people who are in charge and these leaders and all of this, what's happening? And God, where are you? Are you still on your throne? And Listen, none of this is thwarting the plan of God. 
It's not like God is up there in heaven wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, I've, I've lost control. Not even for a second. And that should be something that as we sung about tonight, we take heart. In fact, keep your finger there in Genesis 27 and go over to the book of Acts with me for just a moment. Let me give you another biblical passage that illustrates this point. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. I'm just going to do these two verses. A lot more here. But basically what Luke is saying is this. All the human beings in power in that day are going to be responsible for what they did to Jesus. But ultimately, what happened to Jesus was also the plan and purpose of God. Notice what Luke writes in Acts 4.27. For indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together in this city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do as much as your power and your plan had decided beforehand would happen. There it is. Yes, they are humanly responsible for their actions, but it was part of the plan and purpose of God. It's the way God has always worked down through history. And that's why you and I, no matter what's going on in the world and what's happening, can take heart and be encouraged and not be so upset about everything and be settled in God because it is futile to think that man can somehow thwart the plan and purpose of God. Back to Genesis 27. Verse 34. When Esau heard his father's words, he wept loudly or wailed loudly and bitterly. He said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But Isaac replied, Your brother came in here deceitfully and took away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, Jacob is the right name for him. He tripped me up two times. He took away my birthright. Now he's taking away my blessing. And by the way, the writer of Hebrews says that though he sought this blessing with tears. Hebrews 12, 27, the author of Hebrews says he found no other opportunity for it. It's a reminder that sometimes despising our birthright and not caring about the things of God and then all of a sudden we want somehow to be blessed of God, God doesn't work that way, and that's Esau. Esau basically wanted nothing to do with the things of God or God, but then when it came time to be blessed of God, oh God, I want you to bless me. No, it doesn't work that way. You and I can't ignore God and neglect God and then all of a sudden some point in our life go, well, God, why aren't you blessing me and prospering me? Why aren't you following me? Why aren't you loving me? Why aren't you worshiping me? You see, that was Esau's problem. So Esau wept loudly. And then look at verse 39. Isaac does bless Esau. But notice in this blessing, God's name is never mentioned like it is in the blessing to Jacob. So his father Isaac said to him, Indeed, your home will be away from the rich, richness of the earth and away from the dew of the sky above. You will live by your sword, but you will serve your brother. When you grow restless, you will tear off his yoke from your neck. 
Ooh. Not a very good life, is it? Because he was going to go down a different path in his life. And though Jacob did not deserve this blessing, God knew that when he began to come and meet with Jacob and work with Jacob, that Jacob in time would become a man of God. Esau, no interest. No interest. And then I'll close with this last paragraph in Genesis 27, which basically then recounts for us the enormous cost involved in what Rebekah and Jacob did. You see, by doing what they did, it only put more animosity within the family. It only caused more division, more tension, if you will, by their actions. So then Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to his brother. Esau said privately, the time of mourning for my father is near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, in all of this, Probably the person that maybe comes out looking the best initially is Esau in the sense that Esau was not responsible for the situation that Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob created. But Esau is responsible for his response to it. And his response is not good. I'm going to kill my brother. And God has a message for us in that. You and I may not be responsible for the situation that we are put in. We may be put into a situation that was caused by the bad behavior or the bad choices or decisions of others, but we are always held responsible for our response to that. And our best response is always a response of faith. God, what will you have me to do in this situation? Not what do I feel like doing, but what will honor you? What will bring glory to you? What do you want me to do? So when Rebekah heard her older son Esau had said, she quickly summoned her younger son Jacob and told him, look, your brother Esau is planning to get revenge by killing you. Now then, my son, again, follow my voice. Do what I say. You'd think Jacob would have learned by now. I think we've done enough of that, Mom. We've gotten into enough trouble with that. But anyway, run away immediately to my brother Laban in Haran. Live with him for a little while until your brother's rage subsides. Stay there until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I'll send someone to bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am deeply depressed because of these daughters of Heth. If Jacob were to marry one of these daughters of Heth who live in this land, I would want to die which brings us to chapter 28. And I'll say this, I'm jumping just a little bit ahead here before I close, but it's part of the sad, tragic consequences of what was happening here in this chapter. When Jacob departs, he's going to be alone for a long time. God needs to teach him some things, and he's going to wander for a while. But the other thing is he never sees his mother again. His mother, Rebecca, will die before he ever gets to see her again. All because everybody in this chapter, instead of relying on the Lord, as we sung about, Lord, I need you, 
and going to him and asking, Lord, what do you, would you have me to do? How would you have me to handle this situation? They took matters into their own hands and became very self-reliant instead of God-reliant and said, I can fix this. And notice the mess that they made. All the while, God is shining brightly because he's being true. He's being trustworthy. You can always rely and depend upon God, and God's promises are going to be fulfilled no matter how bad the behavior. And you can begin to see these are the people that God brought all the promises through? Yeah. Which, can I tell you, I'm encouraged by that because Jeff Royce falls short so much. I'm glad God doesn't need perfect in order to work through. I know God wants me to make progress, and God wants me to grow, but I'm so glad God doesn't need me to be perfect in order to work through, and God doesn't need that from you either. So be encouraged. Even though this could be a very sort of sad story in the Bible, it also magnifies our God maybe like nothing else does. Because in the midst of all that darkness of human behavior, is the grace of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you are always true. Your ways are always right. And, God, you're sovereign. Your plan and purpose is never going to be thwarted no matter what man's schemes are, no matter what we try to do to thwart them, or circumvent them. And God, I hope that that gives all of us tonight comfort in the world in which we live. God, that there's no one in leadership and no one doing anything on this earth that, Lord, if it wasn't falling within your plan or purpose, it, it wouldn't be happening. And God, when you said it's enough, you'll put an end to it. You'll raise up somebody or something, Lord, to take this world in the direction that you have planned because that's the way you always work. And we can trust you with everything, including our own lives. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that in the midst of all of this deception and scheming and striving, that God we'll also just rest in the blessing that you are and rest in knowing, God, that we can't strive and struggle for your blessings. They are gifts that are undeserved that flow from your grace. And all we have to do, God, is just immerse ourselves and abide in you and we'll be blessed more than we could ever imagine, God. God, may we be settled in you in the days in which we live, and for all time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you next week.